what it do baby welcome back to another episode of my unapologetic perspective uh this is the podcast we give our controversial topics of um from our experience black history and our knowledge as african americans uh black history presently lives in us so we can continue to excel into the future it's one thing to know black history it's another thing to take advantage of what the people in black history did for you i am your host martre baker stevens and to the right of me is shaquan battle i mean hello and to the right of him is jerome battle what's up uh we appreciate all the love and support we've been getting on the previous episodes um we love uh, all of the support that we get we love all of the comments that we get we love all of the conversations that we have outside of the podcast about the podcast um we truly do appreciate it um this may be the last episode that we're able to do for the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll try to do one. I know we're not going to get to one next week, but the week after that, we'll try to get one done Sunday. Um, we'll have to play it by ear, um, but we'll have a little vacation to where we won't have one. Um, but feel free to go back and revisit the last episodes, continue to educate yourself, continue to get your own perspective, um, continue to be your own media to be able to uh, understand what's going on in history so you can understand what's going on in today's world. Um, we're going to jump right into the topic today. Um, important topic, a topic that's kind of rejuvenated over the last uh, decade. You know, when we talk about how at one time in black history that everybody was really gravitating towards Martin Luther King and that being the African-American way. Um, then you saw a rejuvenation in Malcolm X that we still see today. And now you're really seeing a, a rejuvenation in a topic we're going to talk about today, which is uh, Marcus Garvey, uh, the teachings of Marcus Garvey. And the more we learn about history, the more we learn about the people that we put up on a pedestal in black history were influenced by someone. And when you look at black history, Marcus Garvey is somebody that influenced a lot of the leaders that um, that we love, a lot of the leaders that we talk about, a lot of readers, uh, leaders that we read about. Um, and it's important that we begin to understand Marcus Garvey um, as the man, as the leader, as the um, economic empowerment person that he was. Um, but we're going to get into a little bit of background about Marcus Garvey real quick, and we'll talk about how it applies, how his message applies today. Um, we can even talk about some of the failures that that uh, kind of put the nail in the coffin on this organization. But, you know, Marcus Garvey was born in Jamaica. Um, and growing up in Jamaica, he was influenced by a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Love. Uh, Dr. Robert Love, if you don't know, he got his medical degree from uh, from Buffalo University. He opened up the first two Grand Lodges, first black Grand Lodges in uh, Georgia and Florida uh, for Freemasonry. And then he ended up moving to Jamaica where he starts his own newspaper talking about um, black self-help, black self-improvement, black education. And that's one of the things that Marcus Garvey was really um, attracted to. Uh, Marcus Garvey then goes to London. He goes to Europe and he begins to work at a newspaper underneath uh, Deuce Muhammad Ali, somebody else that influenced him. Uh, Deuce Muhammad Ali was a 
black publisher of a journal and newspaper, the first one in Europe for the black audience and published by a black person. And Deusma Muhammad Ali really took um, Marcus Garvey under his wing. And Marcus Garvey began to really learn about that black empowerment that we need uh, all over the world. He, um, Marcus Garvey, you know, he traveled to Europe. He traveled uh, Central America, South America, um, like 40 some states in the United States. And he saw a correlation with everything is that black people were the, um, they were the power of the economy, but they were powerless in the economy. And that's one of the things that he wanted to change. You know, he would look around and he would say, where is the black man's government? Where is the black man's education? Where is the black man's army? It seems like we're just existing in a white man's world without having any type of political leadership, without having any type of economic power. And that's one of the things that he wanted to change. And on his way back from London to Jamaica, he stumbles upon a book called Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. Um, and I know we talked about Booker T on this podcast before, but Booker T is considered a Pan-Africanist. Most people consider W.B. Du Bois only to be the Pan-Africanist, but there are books and, and information that has come out that is Booker T. Washington was using the Tuskegee Institute to teach Pan-Africanism, to promote um, Pan-Africanism and give money to different African nations and places uh, where the Africans were were located. Um, and that's one of the things that Marcus Garvey wanted to do. He wanted to start a Tuskegee-type institute in Jamaica. Um, he founded the UNIA um, in Jamaica with his uh, first wife, Amy Ashwood. Um, it didn't really go anywhere in Jamaica, so he uh, was going to visit Booker T. Washington. And when he sailed to visit T. Booker T. Washington, by the time he got to America, Booker T. Washington had died. And he met with the the next leader of um, the Tuskegee, Tuskegee Institute, which some people believe was a informant for the government to keep ties on Booker T. Washington. He didn't really like what he had to say. He met with W.B. Du Bois and he really was kind of let down of who he thought W.B. Du Bois was and what he stood for. Um, but he traveled around the United States, Memphis, Alabama, uh, Chicago, New York, and he saw again the same things to where he started the UNIA in, in Harlem. And the UNIA basically, um, some of its main principle was it wanted to teach black pride, racial pride, to be proud of who you are, to be proud of where you come from. Um, we know our history. Sometimes back then we looked at our history as just starting in slavery. He wanted to teach that black history is before slavery. Great, uh, excellent black history comes before slavery. Slavery just interrupted the greatness that we had. So he wanted people to be proud of being black, not just in America. Again, this was a pan-African movement, whether you're in, in Europe, you're in Costa Rica, you in Venezuela, um, you in Jamaica, you in Harlem. We wanted everybody to understand that being proud to be black and having that unity, seeing each other as brothers, you know, the people that are in Haiti are brothers with the people that are in, in Canada. You know what I'm saying? Those type of things then one of the most important things that most people have been talking about is he wanted black people to be economically self-sufficient. 
you know, to own black businesses, to uh, have black land, to have black government. And that, and if you look at that time period, something we talked about on this podcast, you're talking about 1919, 1920, you know, what, what was developing at that time, you know, Tulsa, Black Wall Street, Fourth Avenue in Alabama, um, the Haiti community in Durham, North Carolina, Beale Street in Memphis, Tennessee. Those are the type of things that uh, Marcus Garvey wanted to continue to see was black owned and black ran. Um and giving back to the black community, things that we've talked about on this podcast a lot. Um, of course, just uniting the black people, picking each other up, helping one another. Let's put our money together and and build together. If such and such needs this or such and such need that, then we don't have to go outside of our own community um, to be able to uh, give these people what they what they need. Um, wanted to. Uh, black politicians. He he did not feel that white liberals could represent black people. Right. Um, that's something that Malcolm talked about. That's something that uh, our other black leaders talked about. You know, Marcus Garvey is one of the first people to talk about that. You can't um, represent something you haven't experienced. Exactly. Uh, just give me y'all take on some of that. Uh, for me, I'm I I like some of the things that Marcus Garvey preached. Um, like you said, the Blacks will be respected, economically strong, all of those things. But I do got one question. Some of the stuff that he preached, wouldn't that be considered racism? Wouldn't that be considered what the white people wanted to do with us? But he wanted to do it reverse, which was have the blacks over here. Whites over here not mingle at all. Yeah, he he wasn't for integration. And one of the reasons he wasn't for integration is a lot of people, black leaders, weren't for integration because they didn't feel that white people were sincere about wanting integration. The reason why a lot of white people wanted integration is because of what we see now. You get to own all the businesses. You get to keep the money. You We spend our money with you, and you continue to get rich. That's not something that he wanted. That's not something that Elijah Muhammad wanted. And again, going back to Booker T. Washington that we talked about on the HBCU, that's not something that he wanted. He felt that black people should stop asking for stuff. Let's do it ourselves. Let's build ourselves. And then we'll get the respect that we need. So until we able to develop and build on our own, there's nothing anybody else can do for us. You know, we don't need anybody else's help. You know, Malcolm X always said that, you know, with white people, what can we do for you? This is our business right now. We understand that you want to help, but this is our business. We need to figure out how to do for ourselves. Because when you look at Pan-Africanism, most people think that slavery just happened in America. Most people think that, no, slavery were not only happened to where the slave ships went to other places, but Africa itself was colonized. So the people in Africa don't even remember their history. The people in Africa were colonized the same way we were here in America, same day way they were in South America, Central America, all over Europe. So it's a reminder that in order for black people to grow, we have to first remember who we are. We have to first come together and real understand what it is that we want. And we can't do that with integration because with integration, we're going to go to your schools. You're going to tell us what it is, with how you want us to do it. So in idea, when you look at it in a vacuum, yeah, that that's exactly what it was. But when you look at it from a holistic history standpoint, 
that's not exactly that's why you i don't think you can compare the kkk to marcus garvey you can't compare the kkk to the black panther party you can't compare the kkk to the nation of islam because what the kkk was doing was strictly for the reason that we don't like you because you're black what these groups were doing was for the fact that we are in a situation to where we come from slavery. Mm -hmm. We don't remember who we are and we don't have any economic building in anywhere we are in the country or anywhere in the world. So until we able to build for ourselves, there's nothing that anybody else can do for us. I, I agree. I, I think what he did is he proved the theory and his theory was, is that, and it was developed. It was a developed theory because in the beginning he believed that there was a way that we could get equality. He, he, he believed that. Mm -hmm. But then he found out that integration was really another form of enforcing prejudice and racism. Mm -hmm. And it goes to what he was saying is that we want you to work in our businesses. We want you to put your money into the community so that we can reap the benefits of your, your, your fruits and labor. Mm -hmm. We need your labor. Mm -hmm. What we don't want is your opinion. <laughs> what we don't want is you living in our communities. What we don't want is you having leadership in any community. That there was another form of racism and, and another way of, of, of being prejudiced against is having the so-called integration. He proved that theory when he developed the concept of being segregated, separate but equal. But the equal part, you can't rely on the government for. Mm -hmm. You can't rely on white America to provide equality, even in segregation. Mm -hmm. The reason being is because white America wanted us to be segregated, but they wanted us to continue to work for them. Yeah. So another form of slavery. So when he did what people would not have thought anybody would do, when he went to the KKK and said, hey, we want the same things you want, mm -hmm. right? Guess what people did? They hated him. They rejected They're the there. concept. Yeah. Why? We don't want you to leave. We don't want you to go back to Africa. <laughs> we don't want you to, to live in your own communities and recycle black dollars because we won't survive at the level that we are right now without you. Mm -hmm. We need you. Mm -hmm. We just don't want you to be a part of our community. Mm -hmm. So we need your work. We need your money. We just don't want you to live with us and we don't want you to have leadership. Yeah. So he proved this theory when he went down there and talked to the KKK. Another key point is what you said is also a war. This is 1919, 1920. This is the tail end of uh, World War I, right? So without black people fighting in your wars, even with being segregated, you're, you're outnumbered. So this, this is... It, it was basically, like I said, it was black people just existing within the white man's world. It's something else that happened during this time that you got to take in consideration, too. So we're talking about 1916 to 1920. Mm -hmm. What else was going on? Women's movement. Right. So we're talking about women making a movement. And we talked about this on many podcasts before for white women to gain the equality that they were looking for. What did they need? The help of black women. So you had black women that were embarked in this women's right movement that said, you know what? We deserve to be in the United States. We deserve to be integrated. We deserve to have the same things that white America has access to. So you had, as you always have, you had division amongst black people. Mm -hmm. So not only did white people disagree with blacks being segregated, 
and blacks going back to Africa. But you also had black people that said, no, we don't agree with that concept. Mm-hmm. Right. So the other thing is, and, I, and, and, and Marcus Garvey did a great job at pointing out some of the things as, as he got older. When we talked about going back to Africa at the time, the only African nation that was uh, black owned and governed was Liberia. Liberia. That was the only one. So anywhere else she went in Africa, it was going to be controlled by, by, right. by white government. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the things that he talked about that eventually people like Malcolm X talked about is that the international prejudice and racism that existed in this world, not just what was happening in America, because you got to keep in mind outside the Indians, everybody in America were from another country. Yeah. And all those countries had racism. Mm -hmm. All those countries was prejudiced against blacks, whether they were from Africa or what have you. Right. So the one thing that he was consistent in his conversations was is not just going back to Africa and doing what the Africans were doing, but going back to Africa, creating your own community that was black run leadership, businesses, so forth, so on and education. So he didn't want to just go back. He wanted to go back and do exactly what he wanted done in the United States in these foreign countries. He wanted to go back to doing that. And even with so, you know, he didn't invent the concept of going back to Africa, right? So when you look at just the back to Africa concept, this is something, especially if you watch Roots like us too, right. you understand that when enslaved people got over here, one of the first things that come to their mind is, I'm going back across that ocean, I'm going back home. At some point or another, you know, at I'm going to be free and I'm getting back to Africa. This is something that a lot of enslaved people, new enslaved people came over and they had that, that, that thought and concept. The problem is when you go generation upon generation upon generation in slavery, eventually you get less Africans off the boat and you get more American born Africans. So to the point where they don't have any representation of Africa, they have no memory of Africa. They have no connection with Africa. They have no language of Africa. They have no culture of Africa. So the problem happens is he didn't want people to just physically go back to Africa, to Liberia. He wanted people to mentally go back to Africa before you went enslaved, before we start trying to trample over one another to get these trinkets with white people before we went to their schools, before we did all of these things that they taught us how to do as Europeans, before we did all of that, we were somebody. We were powerful. We were doctors. We were lawyers. We were um, scientists. We were artists. We were all of these things. Go back to that mindset again. This is 1919. W.B. Du Bois just ain't the only one that's responsible for the Harlem Renaissance. You know what I mean? This is a time period where black people were remembering who they were. You know what I'm saying? When when you do that, that's is that's the back to Africa concept. Um, and it's bigger than just going back there physically. Um, but Marcus Garvey understood something early on again by working under uh Deuce Muhammad Ali by um by looking at Dr. Robert Love, which is controlling the media the print and press the newspaper uh frederick Douglass did it you know all of those things understanding the newspaper so he put out a newspaper and that newspaper was so deep that it was banned in most countries they said when they would send garvey's newspaper over to africa they would get a kid to read it 
memorize it, throw it away, and go tell everybody what it said because it was banned. It was called the Negro World. The Negro World. It was banned in, in a lot of uh, um, countries. Um, Malcolm X's mother was a writer uh, for that newspaper. Uh, Malcolm X's father was, again, a huge activist and um, speaker for the Garvey movement. Um, but in, the, in that newspaper, he would talk about black history. He would uh, write essays. He would put poetry in there for, to inspire people. And he would put world events in there. Um, and he understood the controlling of the media. And from just by, in, just in 1919, this dude had 2 million followers. Just in 1919. So you're talking about a couple of years of pushing this. And he had 2 million followers. Um, he established the Negro Factories Corporation. Um, which was him owning a chain of restaurants, grocery stores, laundries, a hotel, the printing press, the newspaper, those type of things to be able to give, to raise money, put the money together and give it to our people. What's needed? What's necessary? What organizations do we need? Um, and one of the key things that he did was he, he, when he reached the international power that he had an international convention here in America, which were, they had delegates from 25 different countries to come here. And then they had a uh, parade. And Can you imagine what my, white America is thinking when they're seeing these black representatives come to their country to meet with Garvey? They're marching down Harlem uh, with black pride, with black unity from Jamaica, from Haiti, from Harlem, from Canada. Like, that's scary as hell to white America. You that's know right. what I mean? And that's one of the things that, that Marcus Garvey did. Um but there were chapters all over the world in 40 different countries. And this is just the ones that we know about because the Garvey movement was so, uh, so powerful that a lot of people had to do it in secret. So you're talking about the UK, Cuba, Panama, Costa Rica, Ghana. Um, by 1926, they said the leadership was up to 11 million people. You know, Marcus Garvey built the largest black organization in history and he did it without religion. Did it without religion. He did it based on education. Exactly. Educating people, not just about their culture and their tradition and heritage, but about being able to be business owners. Mm -hmm. he, he was the first uh, black to own his own shipping company. The Black Star uh, Line. The Black Star Line. And his goal was to have these ships that, of course, would take African-Americans to Africa. Take them back to Africa. Let them see the rest of the world. Go right. to take people from Harlem to Jamaica. Let them let you see the rest of the world. Let you see there's more black people than than just in Harlem, than just in Chicago, That's than right. just in Canada. Um, also with trade, I want to have people in Harlem trade with people in London, black people in London. This is open up our own economy. You know what I mean? That's dangerous as hell to to white America. We talked about on one of the last episodes about the Black Cross nurses, mm -hmm. you know, black nurses being trained to go into the black communities to help with medical stuff, to help with hygiene, to help with diets, those type of things. He also had a juvenile section of the UNIA. So from the ages of uh, young, of uh, basically like up to age seven, you basically learn about black history. You learn um, religious or spiritual um, components. And then you, um, you learn the UNIA basically handbook. Then from age seven up until 13, you learn how to do trades. 
So the women learn how to knit and cook and those type of things. And the men learn how to build things with wood. And then from ages 13 and up, uh, the women learned, they got into the Black Cross nursing. And then the black men got into the black military. So this is something that he brought in black education because he felt like white America couldn't educate the black kids the correct way, mm-hmm. you know, of, of understanding who they were and, and how they can grow in America. Um, but yeah, man, with the black cross line, that's one of the things that he, that he, uh, that he pushed was, you know, it was a all black, um, crew, black captain, mm-hmm. you know, people would wait in these, uh, in these, uh, Caribbean islands for Marcus Garvey's black, uh, star line to pull up it was named after frederick Douglass. the first one he bought the ss frederick Douglass is what he mm-hmm. called it um but yeah man marcus garvey wanted to number one unite black people right. with pan-africanism build the black economy that's right um and, and it's still some of the same things that we talk about in this podcast which, all the time. every all the time become leaders become business owners control your uh, uh what's going on in your communities by being into uh, politics mm-hmm. and, and owning real estate. Uh, the, the other thing is, unfortunately, those concepts is what bought J. Edgar Hoover. That's what got his attention. And of course, that was pro-FBI, um, but um, pre-FBI. But he attracted their attention to where they start investigating. Mm-hmm. Mainly because, I mean, you think about it. <laughs> Black guy own a fleet of ships. <laughs> What's going on here? You know, so you're talking about, you know, 1920s and you got this guy owning a fleet of, of boats. Yeah. Something's wrong. Something's going on. We need to investigate. And won't just America and J. Edgar Hoover. It was the British government, too. Absolutely. They, they were working together to target uh, Marcus Garvey. You know, J. Edgar Hoover hired the first black agent in the bureau to spy on Marcus Garvey. They said there was eight federal agencies reported on Marcus Garvey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and just to show you the, the, the level of, of broad uh, intelligence he had, he named one of, he was, he renamed one of his ships Antonio Maceo. <laughs> so for some people may not know who that is. He was a Cuban uh, um, uh, sergeant, mm-hmm. so, soldier who, who, was quite awesome in his, in his feats. Um, and he named one of them, which was, um, something that I've read when I was younger, he named one of them Phyllis, uh, Phyllis Wheatley. And I used to read her poetry when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, also one of the people that wrote articles for his newspaper was Zora. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this guy was well, well versed, uh, well rounded. Um, in terms of his his messages that he delivered to people on a regular basis. Facts. As Loaded Lux said, Odom Garvey. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a crisp commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Go to YouTube, type in My Unapologetic Perspective. Hit the subscribe button. Go to Facebook, type in My Unapologetic, my Unapologetic Perspective. Hit the like button. Uh, let's jump right back in. But, um, yeah, just going back to uh, J. Edgar Hoover, you know, some of, you know, Marcus Garvey, was considered to a lot of people as just being one of those um, selfish guys. I ain't going to say selfish, just somebody who really didn't take other people's advice a lot. So he had very few confidants. And the few confidants that he did have happened to be um, J. Edgar Hoover's agents to where, you know, um, 
Marcus Garvey were telling them things and they were going back and telling uh, J. Edgar Hoover and the British government. Um, it, it got to the point where the Black Star Line ended up failing and going bankrupt because the first ship that they bought, the SS Frederick Douglass, the captain of the ship, made he convinced Marcus Garvey to buy it six six times of what it was actually worth. And then he got a kickback from the uh, the seller of the ship to the point where um, they was having a lot of engine failures with the ship. Um, they would send agents on the ship to sabotage the ship so it wouldn't be able to travel. Uh, Marcus Garvey went and bought two more ships, one of the Phyllis Wheatley you talked about. But even that was overpriced and it was pretty much damaged to where it couldn't function the way Marcus Garvey wanted to function, mm-hmm. which cost him to go bankrupt, but we got to remember, this is black self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. So to get these ships, he allowed black people to buy stocks into the ships. So it wasn't just his money that was being lost. It was some of his followers' money that was being lost. Um, and that really put an end to a lot what was going on with Garvey. And the Phyllis Whitley act, uh, Wheatley actually... He was bidding for it. And when he was bidding for the Phyllis Wheatley, he put out a, a pamphlet to people to buy stocks into that. Something into he that, didn't uh, own at the time. He didn't own it at that's the right. time. And that's what they called him with, which was okay. mail fraud, uh, which was a $25 stock that somebody had paid that got him it, it, essentially it, arrested. It, it's funny because if you if you think about it, if anybody ever watched the, the, the movie uh, Bugsy, um, this is how the, the casino started in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. That's what he did. He did exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. He followed that that blueprint that Marcus Garvey did. He sold shares for hotels that didn't exist yet. Yeah. Right? So, obviously, um, Marcus Garvey originated that concept. I don't know that Marcus Garvey knew it was against the law at that time. I, I'm not sure either. Yeah. But they said um, even on the picture... Um, I guess even before Photoshop, that somebody edited and wrote Phyllis Wheatley on the picture as if that was already painted on the ship. That's right. I, I'm not sure. No, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Um, yeah. But the, the other thing is that Marcus Garvey inspired uh, uh, people that I think a lot of people probably wouldn't even know. Like his, he in, inspired Malcolm X. You could probably, I think most people can make that connection. I wonder how many people make the connection that he inspired Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela spoke very highly of Marcus Garvey in many and many of his writings, but also Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King said this, Marcus Garvey was the first man on a mass scale to give millions of Negroes a sense of dignity and destiny. Yeah. He gave us a sense of personhood, a sense of manhood, and a sense of somebodiness. That's Martin Luther King. That book right there, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos Our Community, was written while he was in isolation in, in Jamaica after he had visited Marcus Garvey's gravesite. And if, again, we talked about it in this podcast before, a lot of people don't like to quote Martin Luther King from 1965 to 1968. But that's where he was talking about a lot of those economic things that, um, that Garvey was talking about. Even though Garvey really wasn't uh, Garvey was more capitalism and Dr. King was still more socialism. It still was the concept of black people right. uh, of dealing with the money was the issue to the racial inequality that was going on in America. Um, but you talked about uh, Malcolm X. I mean, even Elijah Muhammad 
was uh, influenced by Garvey. Um, Farrakhan was influenced by Garvey. Um, Jomo Kenyatta, uh, again, Nelson Mandela. Like Marcus Garvey was not just an African-American leader. Mm -hmm. He was an international leader. So anybody from anywhere where black people were knew who Marcus Garvey was, followed and read Marcus Garvey. And he was somebody that sparked the civil rights movement, whether people want to give him credit for it or not. He sparked it. Black Panther Party movement. You know, you know, um, I know Stokely Carmichael them came up with the black power, the Black Panther. But that concept came way before them with Marcus Garvey uh, and the Nation of Islam movement. When you look at the fruit of Islam, that's, right. that's something that Marcus Garvey was already doing with his people with them wearing uniforms right. and things like that. And long before Muhammad Ali said uh, black is beautiful, uh, Marcus Garvey was saying black is beautiful. The, the other thing Marcus Garvey did, and I think this is where the concept of being, you hear people saying being awoke or being waked, is that in slavery is not just a physical bondage. Mm -hmm. It is more so mental bondage. Mm -hmm. Slave mentality is what, what, what a lot of people will call it. Um, and what Marcus Garvey would talk about all the time is emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. So you can be free physically yeah. from bondage, but there are so many of us that are still slaves in our mentality, the way we think. Um, and obviously I, I believe that's one of the biggest devices that we have in the black community is that, so many of us still have slave mentality. Yeah. Um, we still don't believe that we can achieve the things that we know we can achieve. Mm -hmm. There's so many of us in our community who would say, you can't do that. You're right. not going to be able to do that. And we're okay with that. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. That's that slave mentality. Yeah. Willie Lynch might not have physically existed, but that syndrome is definitely 100% right. in us. Um, but, you know, after he was arrested, he was out on bond. And that's actually when he met with the Grand Wizard of the KKK. Mm -hmm. And that's when they got white America really got W.B. Du Bois and Philip Randolph to step in and say he don't speak for black people. Um, and a lot of black people denounced uh, Marcus Garvey, even though that's something he was teaching all along. That's right. It's just when you put those two concepts together, a lot of people weren't with it. But he ended up serving two of his five years, and then he was deported. Um, couldn't come back to the United States. And that's one of the th main things that they wanted. They did not want that dude in America. Um, they wanted for him to go back to Jamaica uh, and lose everything that you have uh, that you have built. Yeah, he he, he died in, what, 1940? Mm -hmm. 50, 51 couple had a couple heart attacks or something. Basically he went untalked about mm -hmm. for the remaining 13 years of his life. Um, after 1927, both of his sons are, are pretty educated. When one mm -hmm. of them, I think died and another one, he, he died. I think he had like a physics degree, but there's uh, right. Marcus Garvey jr. I believe it is. It's the youngest one. No, I, I forgot what his name is, but he's still going around talking about some of these things with a lot of uh, our Pan-African leaders. Um, well, why do you think people don't talk about Marcus Garvey? In America? Yeah. Because you get that, again, the question he asked, when, when, you, when you 
are taught up when you're brought up in the room of in America of Dr. King, even Malcolm X seems way too radical for you. You know what I mean? Even, even that's just too aggressive. And then when you go from Malcolm X to Marcus Garvey, that's pushing the limits. I, I, I think about Martin Luther King in the last couple of years of his life, I would say from 1966 to 1968. Yeah. Um, Martin Luther King made uh, public statements about we talked about in this podcast is civil rights movement was easy for America to get. Yeah. Right. Didn't cost them anything. However, what we're going to be asking for next was going to cost America. That's some of the things that Marcus Garvey was talking about mm-hmm. is the things that he want is going to cost America mm-hmm. and America wasn't willing to pay that bill. I still don't think that they're willing to pay that bill, mm-hmm. which is why you have so many things going on right now today that continue to try to take some rights away from blacks. Yeah. Even if it's taking their lives. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that what Marcus Garvey was talking about scares most people. It scares including black Americans. Scares. It, that, it that's scares. that slave mentality we that's talked right. about. That's, that scares the hell out of people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I'm going to read something real quick from the Declaration of the Right of Negro Peoples of the World that the UNIA put together, kind of like our Declaration of Independence uh, to send to white America. And there's a few things that even still applies today of, of what they wrote down. It says that, that nowhere in the world, with few exceptions, are black men accorded equal treatment with white men. Although in the same situation and circumstances, but on the contrary, are discriminated against and denied the common rights due to human beings for no other reason than their race and color. Another point says in certain parts of the United States of America, our races denied the right of public trial accorded to other races when accused of crime, but are lynched and burned by mobs and such brutal and inhuman treatment is even practiced upon our women. Another one says our children are forced to attend inferior separate schools for shorter terms than white children. And the public school funds are unequally divided between the white and colored schools. Another one says we are discriminated against and denied an equal chance to earn wages for the support of our families. In many instances are refused admission into labor unions and nearly everywhere are paid smaller wages than white men. And those are some of the same concepts that we talked about on this podcast that that deviates between black and white America. Um, But a lot of followers say that Marcus Garvey made his followers give up their wishbone for a backbone. And I believe that's a lot of one of the reasons why he's not talked about is because he didn't. I believe white America didn't like the fact that people like Malcolm X, people like Marcus Garvey were pro-black. And that's the difference between the KKK and these. It's difference between being pro-black and anti-white. You know what? So Marcus Garvey loved black people to the point where he traveled across the world and he hates seeing them in the condition that they were in. He hates seeing them not have any type of control. And that's one of the things that I feel like is the most important thing to talk about with Marcus Garvey as it applies today. It's our control. You know, we talk about all this time on this podcast. We don't control our communities. You know, are we buying properties in our communities? Are we owning businesses? Are we building our parks and recreation centers? Are we keeping up with those parks and recreation centers? Uh, 
we glorify the wrong things. We we have to find a way in the black community to remove the gang violence, to remove the gun violence, to remove the drug trade. You, you can't rely on white America to do it. You can't rely on the government to do it. Right. I mean, we have to figure out how to do this thing. And one of his quotes is, liberate the minds of men, and ultimately you will liberate the bodies of men. We're still in that slave mentality. You know, that's why we got the gang violence that we have. That's why we have the quick quick buck drug trade that we have in our in our thing that's why we have the to rent to rent 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 instead of buying and owning and that's why we have the 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 problems that we have in our community we don't control our education and again one of the part is being re-educated we know what k through 12 taught you but are you still continuing your education are you still reading books that still there there's some people who still they still celebrate Columbus Day, huh? That's right. You know, you still celebrate Columbus Day because you have not re-educated yourself. There's going to be a lot of people that's going to celebrate on Independence Day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which, speaking of that, that's one of the things that um, Marcus Garvey um, exposed about Frederick Douglass. One of the reasons why he also um, learned a lot from Frederick Douglass is Frederick Douglass was the first person to talk about the Revolutionary War not being fought for the reasons that they say it was. Yeah. He was the first one to admit that. Mm-hmm. Um, although a lot of people didn't interpret it the same way, if you go back and read history, real history, you will see that he agreed that the the, re- the Revolutionary War was not fought because of taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. It was not fought to exceed from uh, from from Britain for the reasons that they said it was. Right. It was all about slavery. Absolutely. Um, you know, the school system doesn't fully meet the need of a black child. And we can't, again, everybody was talking about we need black history classes, we need CRT, but when the school board says no, no adults go try to teach their kids what that what it is that that means. That's right. You know, you just so fully reliant on the school system to do it for you that's not what true education is the next thing is you have to have that self-knowledge you know if you he said if you haven't confidence in in self you are twice defeated in a race of life with confidence you have won even before you have started how can you have confidence if you don't know who you are who are you before you put on a red flag and a blue flag who are you before you step foot into that into that college campus who are you before you put on that police officer uniform? Who are you before you put on that jail uniform? Who are you before you go into these white businesses and you work your ass off and never get a promotion, never get a raise? Who are you before all of that? If you don't understand who you are, then America would take advantage of you. That's right. And that's what they have done to black people throughout history is take advantage of us because we have no idea who we are. You know, there are so many people, you know, or we're Moors or we're, we're Africans, we're, we're Nate, we're the Aboriginal people. Okay. But who are we as a, as a unified group, as, as black people, who are we? And so many people don't know the answer to that question. You ask them who they are. I'm a teacher. You ask them who they are. Who? Oh, I'm a, I'm a engineer. You ask them who they are. No. Who are you? If I was to strip all of that from you, who are you? Who are you? Most people have no clue. They have no clue. They have no clue. And that's one of those back to African mentalities that we got to have is if you take away somebody's money, you take away their possessions, you take away everything, strip them bare and naked. What do you have to fight for? And some people don't have a pride. 
to fight for in, in, in our community. And that's why we don't we don't understand our education. You know what I mean? We don't control our talent. You know, you look at music, sports, art. Well, you <laughs> just explained the music business. Hey, you know what I'm saying? You know, we don't we need to take control of our record sales. We need to take control and and have our record companies. Uh, we talked about the HBCUs when it comes to sports. We need to give the colleges that represent us. You know what I mean? Before we go make them billions of dollars. You know, we need to, we talked about this, about black culture. We need to protect our creatorship when we're on TikTok and, and, and all of these, on all of these things, we, we have to have copyright to control our talent. Otherwise we're giving it away for free and say, this is for everybody else to have while we get nothing from it. Other, other ethnicities, nationalities, and races don't do that. That's right. You know what I mean? Um, I, I got a question. I was, so I, I was on the website looking at information Normally, I don't read the comments at the bottom because I know they're going to be ignorant. And I happen to read one. And this is what the black woman said back to the white guy. And I want you all to tell me if it's true because it blew my mind. She said some white wealth came about as a result of wealth gain. She's talking about white wealth now. Came as a result gained during slavery when which when rich white benefited from the free labor of enslaved Africans and passed that wealth to their descendants. Many of large corporations were involved in the, and gained profit from the slave trade. You look at America's wealth. Most of it comes from enslaved and the rest of it come off and take advantage of other people's territory. Why there are American troops at every other country taking advantage of their wealth and resources. Africa is the only place that is self-sufficient enough to where it don't need resources from any other place on the world. No other continent. Everything could grow sufficiently right there in Africa. And Africans don't control it. They don't control no resources there. You still got Africans there, as we talked about, when, when you go back to Liberia, that was the only place that was free at that time. You still have places in Africa fighting for that, for that, that freedom from being colonized. Wait. So Africans in Africa don't own any. There's a few that the few that have gained their independence since then. You know, you it's see the works that people like Akon are doing. You seeing those type of things. Yeah. But so no. 90 percent of African countries are ruled by by whites. Still ruled by colonizers. You look up the um the um shoot. What is it called? Is it called the the Council of the Belgium? Um, the meeting in Belgium where. Africa, mean, where European nations came together and they basically divided up the land in Africa on who controls what. And they had a meeting about this. They had a meeting on who's going to control what and um, and over those resources. And another country. That's another country. Crazy. It's money. It's we, money. We talk about it. It ain't just America. You follow the money. So when and you see those poor... Um, places that they like to show on TV of Africa where there's no grass and none of that other stuff is because they in dug and all of that other stuff and, and they moved on to the next location. And then they say, black people, you can have it now. <laughs> it's control yes. over the land. Right. Yep. So when we talk about, when we talk about that white supremacist mentality, that has nothing to do with America. <laughs> and I think that's the thing people don't understand is when we talk about white supremacy, we're not just talking about white Americans. We're talking about white people. Yeah. We're not just talking about white Americans. Yeah. Even if you look in the United States where 
there are treaties signed between the United States and the Aboriginal people here to to give them land and leave that land alone. And then once they need it, well, we're going to take a highway through here. We're going to dig for oil through here. We're going to do all of these things through here. And that's why you see so many people protesting on from the Aboriginal people, because these are concepts that were given to them through treaties. But white America keep it violating because they need the land. It's, it's all a business. When you look at these wars that's going on, what's going on in Ukraine and with Russia and all of these other places, it is a business. They ain't going to war because they don't like each other. They're going to war because they want control over resources. That's right. There's money being involved. And America going over there because we want a piece of the pie. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Um, we're going to continue on. Uh, we talked about earlier how, you know, Marcus Garvey understood the importance of controlling the media uh, by using a newspaper. Um, he said, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword, but the tongue is mightier than them both put together. Right. And even in some of his principles, he wanted to teach black people how to be better speakers so they can begin to um, intelligently produce the words that begin to help others and build our community. Um but that's what we need today. That's what we got. That's why we have this podcast because we want to control our narrative. That's right. You know, where is our representation? Yeah, they put a few black people on CNN, a few people on uh, Fox and ABC and all these other things. It's not enough. But you know, how much of it is at the actual black perspective? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to begin to control our own media outlets so you can get the black perspective from our communities without white America trying to tell us what it is that we want or what it is or how it is that we view it. Um, A lot of the concepts that Marcus Garvey talked about is is applies today. And we really should, we really should be trying to follow some of these. Yeah. We, we talked about in this podcast many times before how we can't expect white America to speak for us. Yeah. Um, we would talk about missing kids, um, black missing kids, black kids go missing every day, but they get less exposure on national TV, right? Um, national research uh, or search and investigations. We get the least amount of attention, but we go missing at a higher rate than any other uh, uh, nationality in America. We can't wait for CNN. We can't yeah. wait for Fox. Yeah. We we should not wait. Because they don't cover it until we have a big uproar Absolutely. about it. So we have, we have, we just have our third black billionaire that's an athlete, but yet we have no news media outlet for black America. <laughs> what? That makes no sense to me, yeah. right? Do we have, we have the financial backing. We have the education. What are we lacking to go out and create those avenues? Mm-hmm. What are we lacking? Unity. Yeah. Not everybody agrees with the concept, yeah. right? But that's part of the problem. We still suffer from the 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 uh, uh, dissension within our own communities, within our own race, we can't get enough people that agree that change needs to happen. There are so many people that are content with what they have, and I use that word content because that's what we hear a lot in our community. People are content with what they have. They're content with paying rent. They're content with having a a, a, a decent job. They're content with that. Mm-hmm. So they have no desire to do any more and they don't want to ruffle any feathers that, that may mess up what they currently have. As as older people say, don't mess up that good job. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to mess up that good job. Mm-hmm. Right. 
But if you, in order to get more, in order to, to be treated better, because that's really what we want. We don't want more than what white America has. We just want more than what you're giving us. Yeah. We want equality, right? So we don't want just equity because we talked about that before. You can give us equity all you want to, but equity means nothing if I don't have equality. equality yeah. I have to have equality. So we have to agree that this is what we need and this is what we want and then try to figure out how to go obtain it. Mm-hmm. We, we, we got to control our politics at the end of the day. You know, we, we, we still are divided amongst these. I, when we see people arguing about Republicans and Democrats, which one is the best for black people? Neither one of them ain't did shit for us. That's right. You know what I mean? So I don't understand why we continue to have these. And that's one thing Marcus Garvey did after he was deported to Jamaica was start his own, um, black, basically, um, the black leadership to run in politics um, because it's something that we need. Uh, we don't have anybody that, you know, other races do it, you know, Asians put their money together for their politics right. and say, Hey, we got a check for you. So we need this change. That's how you get the, the Asian hate crime bill. You know what I mean? That's how you get those type of things. Cause people put their money together. Right. And a lot of these concepts that, Marcus Garvey came up with, he saw people like the Irish do it and become successful. That's right. So that's why he named it the Black Star Line because they had the White Star Line and it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why he named his uh, convention hall Liberty Hall because that's what the Irish did and they got what they wanted. So he, that's something that he wanted to do. He said black people need the same thing. And he uh, talked about controlling the media. So what did he do? He created his own newspaper. Created his own newspaper, right. right? So we got to control our finances, you know, not just spending money on things that ain't going to make us money. Not just spending money with Tom, Dick, and Jerry who ain't going to give back to our community. You know, I'm almost afraid if they were to give us reparations, I don't even know what the hell we're going to do with it. What are we going to spend it on? Or are we going to actually go and build? You know what I mean? Dave Chappelle had a point in his skit on what we'll actually do with some point. people right. with the slave mentality that we have, what we'll do with the money. You I, know what I mean? I give you an, uh, I give you an, uh, give you an analogy, right? So me and T played Grand Theft Auto five online. And so, you know, me and T, we, we go around, we do everything. So we, we we come across this white dude, and we he heard us talking about it. And he was like, y'all play Grand Theft? We was like, yeah. He was like, um, he was like so what all do y'all do on there? And he was like, oh, we buy clothes, shoes. Uh, you know, we rob people. We do missions. He was like. <laughs> Basically oh. real life. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh. We was like, so what you do? He was like, I got like five businesses on there. And it's like. Oh, so we've been playing the game wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in right. real life and on there. You know? I, you know, I remember as a kid, my dad was trying to instill in us some of these same concepts. So he bought a board game called Monopoly. And you play Monopoly. And when we first played it, we played it like a hustle. You get the roll dice, <laughs> right? So it was like a hustle. My dad was like, you're missing the concepts, huh? The concept is the more property you own, when people want to utilize your property, yeah. whether they're landing on it, renting it, whatever, they got to pay you. Yeah. Right. So own all the shit that you can own so that you can make money. Right. One of the one of the best conversations I have with my dad, he says, as you get older, the main thing you got to keep in mind is you want to own your own shit. Yeah. Get you some stuff, man. No matter what it is, get it. So it's yours and can't nobody come take it. Yeah. That's important. Because 
as as enslaved Africans, we didn't own shit. Yeah. Now you have the opportunity to own what we do. We rent. Yeah. And the people that we're paying the money to own the shit, and then they get to tell you what you can do in the house, right? Yeah. You can't have no dogs. How many kids you got? You got three kids, or you got to move. Yeah. Now they're trying to tell you how you can raise your family because they own the property. Yeah. You know, so obviously when we talk about being free, yeah, you're free to do and go where you want to, but your mind is not free until you understand what that really means. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, we got to control our leadership. You know, we got a problem with the HNIC syndrome. You know, everybody want to be the head nigga in charge. You know what I mean? This is this create the battle that you get from WB Du Bois, the Booker T. Washington. This creates the battle that you get between Marcus Garvey and WB Du Bois. This creates the battle that you get between Malcolm X and Dr. King. These create those type of battles because we think it's just one way of doing things. But the pan-Africanism is let's bring all of this to the table. And let's come up with a decision that's best for all of us. That's right. You know, let's put religion to the side for a second. Let's put our own agenda to the side for a second. And, and let's come up with these concepts. And that's one of the reasons why Marcus Garvey was such an incredible leader. Because he brought all of these organizations under one umbrella. You're doing this. You're doing this. Let's bring it here. Under the Black Cross Nurses was something that somebody else was doing. He brought that under his umbrella to say, okay, let's make this a part of an entire organization. And you even see it today. You got somebody in the community doing one thing then somebody over here doing something similar and they never have a conversation. That's right. And you're fighting for kids. You're fighting for um, support. You're fighting for this, but you never came together and, and, and have a, a collaborative effort to That's build right. for your community. We see that happening right now with Juneteenth Day. Facts. It's something everywhere. Something everywhere. So, Nobody communicated with each other and have one one big event. So you got all these little events all over. Yeah. Another way to keep us separated. Right. You know, we we treat each other like competition. Yeah. You know, and, and Marcus Garvey said, "Intelligence rules the world, but ignorance carries the burden." And a lot of times, we carry a lot of burdens through ignorant leadership. Ignorant leadership. leadership. That's right. You know what I mean? Like we're not on one accord when it comes to a lot of things, and that's something that, again, goes back to the basic principles of what Marcus Marcus Garvey was talking about, which is we need to have that unity. You know what I mean? Uh, this and you know, he said something in Sixty uh, First Street. When he was giving his closing arguments, you know, the system is not broken. The system is working perfectly for the people it was designed for. And that's exactly what's happening. You know, we're black people just existing within the system, complaining about a system that wasn't designed for you. And Marcus Garvey wanted to create our own system to the point to where we're self-sufficient enough to be able to grow. He wanted us to use our own um authority so if you have if you let's say if you work at this job and you have some authority okay do the same thing that white america do right. bring them in because they're black let's 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 throw some of those type of concepts in there to, to help each other that's why the black dollar is so important because when black people love something they'll spend their money on it. that's right yeah you know one of the other things that marcus garvey talked about that you can directly associate we'll use music industry as an example is black people have a lot of talent, but they have no vision. So we look at artists. Artists 
generally make songs, mm-hmm. not albums. Yeah. If you talk to any producer, any any legitimate record producer, they will tell you that they have artists in the studio that are just making songs. They're just yeah. making songs. They're not making albums. They have no vision, but they have talent. You can you can translate that to what we deal with in our own communities. Everybody has their own idea. Yeah. But they don't see the big picture. There's no big picture for them. It's just an idea. We talk about Juneteenth Day. Everybody has an idea of having an event. What's the impact of the event? Yeah. Nobody's thinking about that. The impact is not that important. So then you start questioning people's sincerity. What's the real motive behind having an event? That's where people start saying, I don't want to participate or I want to create my own because I don't know the sincerity. How many people donate funds to a cause and have no idea what those funds are being used for? The black community, that's why we don't donate because we have no idea where those funds are going to be utilized. Mm -hmm. So we don't donate. We don't feel the sincerity. There's no transparency. So we have no idea what we actually contributing to. Mm -hmm. And we don't care to find out. So mm-hmm. we just keep our money and we move on. Mm-hmm. Right. So these are the, some of the some of the things that has nothing to do with white America. This is part of that slave mentality that Marcus Garvey talked about. The, the, in Juneteenth would have been the perfect time to organize. You know what I mean? When you talk about it has to be bigger than just food and music. You know, this mm-hmm. is the time where you go to your your city council members. This is the time you go to your your black senators or representatives to say, hey, this is the time for you to come to an event where black people by the masses are going to be here mm-hmm. for you to explain to them what's important for us moving forward. This is the time where you bring those black businesses together, not just to sell, but also have conversation on us as black business. What can we do to help our community with the profit that we're making outside of our family? Because, of course, you want to make a profit to feed your family, but with the money. This is a perfect time for you to bring the churches together um, to say, okay, what do we need necessary to build our community? Um, This would have been a perfect time to do it, but there's so many people we're caught up on the entertainment of it all. Entertainment. That's a holiday. Things like, because ultimately I would like for everybody that's having a Juneteenth celebration, even if it's just at your home, I want you to take 10 minutes and explain to your kids what Juneteenth is. Yeah. Because there's so many people that don't even know what that is. They still don't know what it is. So take that opportunity to give them just a small black history lesson. Right. And explain to them what Juneteenth really is. You know, it, this was if, if if this was me and I was throwing a Juneteenth event, you know, I would have had some of the elders out there that could story tell about the history in the community. You know, especially for people in Bedford, you bring people in that could talk about Susie G. Gibson. You bring people in who could talk about the first black church built. You bring those people in. You bring in, you, you have... Um, you bring people in who can talk about trade and businesses. This is a perfect time for you to get a job application in. Right. You know, this is the perfect time to do those type of things. This has to be more than entertainment. You bring in politicians. You bring in businessmen. You bring in influential people. And then with that, then we can have entertainment. But there's an also an opportunity for you to learn about history. Bring in people that may not that you may not agree with their religion that you don't know nothing about. Let them explain it. 
Let a let a Christian and a Muslim have a conversation. Let somebody who practices African spirituality or somebody that's an Israelite have a conversation. We may not agree, but it goes back to what Marcus Garvey wanted. This is pan-Africanism. This is unity. And again, Juneteenth goes further than just Texas. You were talking about people from Jamaica, Haiti, all were enslaved. So when you talk about the African diaspora, Juneteenth does not just represent your beliefs based on what colony you was in. Absolutely. There is traditions and culture all over. You can have your nationality. You can be Jamaican. You can be Puerto Rican. You can be um, Cuban. You can be uh, from the barrels of Harlem, a a Bronx dude. I don't care. Whatever the case may be. I I, I see the significance of Juneteenth for me is. On many a podcast before, we talked about the response rate of white America and how they're slow to respond to anything regarding black people. Juneteenth Day is a prime example of mm-hmm. being slow to respond. Yeah. So for people <laughs> that want to know what I'm talking about, I want you to do your homework. Google Juneteenth yeah. and understand what Juneteenth really is and see how slow white America responded to something that affected black people absolutely and you will find out what people are celebrating they wasn't slow to owning the word yeah (laughs) but slow to that (laughs) but definitely slow to responding not giving us the holiday because i tell people i don't give a damn about the holiday slow to respond to the fact that slavery was over it was against the law now that's right slow to respond and it wasn't by i can tell you now it wasn't because they didn't know yeah (laughs) Uh, freedom for me But uh, we appreciate all the love and support. Uh, We love y'all. Peace.